0: share an article with you that I believe gives some real insight into understanding this war Israel is having with Hamas. I've entitled the article, Esau, Amalek, Haman, and Hamas, Connecting the Dots. We begin with the scripture from Psalm 20, verse 7. Some call on chariots and some call on horses, but we call on the name of the Lord, our God. In the words of Jeremy Gimpel, Israel is currently facing a battle on three different levels. There is a literal battle with boots on the ground, the kinetic war with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Most folks are following that story pretty closely. There is an ideological battle in the minds and hearts of Israelis, liberal versus conservative, religious versus secular. And there is a spiritual battle that is being waged in the heavens. This article will focus on that spiritual battle. What is the spirit behind Hamas? How will Israel fight and overcome that evil spirit? Many teachers on both the Jewish and the Christian side of the aisle are postulating that the Hamas operatives are motivated and energized by the spirit of Amalek. Is that true? If so, what does that mean? And how do we overcome the spirit of Amalek? We begin with looking at the roots of the spiritual conflict, and it started with Jacob and Esau. So before we get to Amalek, we must begin with Esau. The conflict between these twin boys began in the womb, as it is written in Genesis twenty-five, twenty-two to 26 But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well... Why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. I believe Jacob has been misunderstood over the centuries. He has been accused of being a supplanter and a deceiver. Yet, when we look at this struggle that started from within the womb, I believe Esau had murder in his heart for his brother even before he was born. Instead of believing that Jacob was supplanting his brother by catching hold of his heel, perhaps this is what really happened. Esau was trying to crush the soft part of his brother's skull with his foot to kill him. Jacob reached up with his hand to protect the soft part of his head from being crushed. The next verse tells us more about the character of these two boys in Genesis 25 verse 27. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Esau is a man of the fields. He's a hunter. Hunters are cunning. They stalk their prey, and they kill. Esau was a man of the world. He was carnal, bloody, and a killer. But Jacob was a man who dwelt in tents or stayed in camp. This is a Hebrew idiom for this. Jacob loved to study the Torah. That is why he dwelt in the tent and stayed in camp. Esau hates Jacob. Again, we find that Jacob is much maligned in this next part of the story. He is accused by Esau and by many Bible teachers of stealing the blessing from his brother Esau. Yet, Rebekah, Jacob's mother, is the one who instructed Jacob to do the following in Genesis 27, verses 6 to 8. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I hear your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me the game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Jacob had objections, but in the end he obeyed his mother. Why did Rebekah instruct her son Jacob to pretend to be Esau, to receive the blessing from his father Isaac? I believe it was because she remembered the prophecy that the Lord revealed to her when she was carrying the twin boys in her womb. Genesis twenty-five twenty-three, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older, that is Esau, shall serve the younger, that is Jacob. Jacob valued the birthright. Esau despised it and sold it for a bowl of soup. Jacob loved the Torah. Esau was a man of the fields. Jacob was being obedient to his mother in doing what he did. And Jacob's father brings forth the fulfillment of the prophecy as Isaac speaks these words over Jacob from Genesis 27-29. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you and be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. When Esau learns, that his father has given his blessing to his brother Jacob, he cries out with an exceedingly bitter cry in Genesis 27:34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. And that begins the root of bitterness between them. A bitter root defiles many. It is a poisonous well of hatred that many generations drink from. Continuing on in Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, it is written, So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob what does the god of israel say about jacob and esau in malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 it is written was esau jacob's brother says the lord yet jacob i have loved but esau i have hated why does god hate esau Esau had baseless hatred for his brother Jacob. He had murder in his heart, even from within the womb. Esau and the spiritual descendants of Esau have spilled much Jewish blood over the centuries. And much blood was spilled on October the 7th. Moses had a battle with Amalek in Genesis chapter 36, verses 9 to 12. We're going to look at that now. Let's move on to Amalek. Amalek is the grandson of Esau, as it is written in Genesis chapter thirty-six, verses nine through twelve. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons: Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau; Ruel, the son of Basmoth, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam and Kenaz. Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. Genesis 36:9-12. Moses' battle with Amalek. The first battle with Amalek is recorded for us in Exodus 17 verses eight to 13, and Moses fights this battle. As it is written, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was. When Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Take note of this. While Joshua and his men fight, the kinetic, boots-on-the-ground battle with Amalek, at the same time, Moses is fighting the spiritual battle by interceding and praying for them. When Moses' hands droop, they begin to lose the battle. But as long as Moses' hands are lifted up, Israel prevails. This gives us a great example of how there are two levels of battle happening at the same time. The kinetic, boots-on-the-ground battle, and the spiritual battle, fought and won in prayer. What is Amalek's strategy in battle? Deuteronomy 25, verses 17-19 to answers this question. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear flanks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. The last king of Amalek was King Agag. Saul was directed by God to annihilate all of the Amalekites, men, women, and children. So Saul has a battle with Amalek, and Saul is given his orders from the Lord, as it is written in first Samuel chapter fifteen 1-3. 1-3. to three. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, for Samuel fifteen one to three Saul does not obey the Lord; he allows the king of Amalek, that is King Agag, to live. He also keeps the best of the sheep, fatlings, oxen, and lambs. Because of his disobedience, Saul is rejected as king of Israel by the Lord, as it is written in 1 Samuel 15, verse 11. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. The next day, Samuel the priest confronts Saul. In 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, it is written, Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Because King Agag, the last king of Amalek, is allowed to live, the genealogy of hatred towards Jews lived on and is passed down through the generations. And we see another character emerge with genocidal hatred of the Jews, Haman. We will come back to him, but now let's look at King David's encounter with Amalek. David's battle with Amalek is described to us in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1-4. to Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. What was the battle strategy deployed here by Amalek? They took captive the women and children at Ziglag. David and his men are heartbroken. So what does David do? 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then he does something very important. It is something that we often forget to do. And we go charging out, rushing ahead, leaning on our own understanding and strength. David inquires of the Lord. He prays. He seeks the mind of the Lord, and Hashem answers him. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Amalek took captives from David's camp at Ziglag. Similarly, we see that Hamas, in their hatred of Jews, took some 240 Jews captive. We continue to pray earnestly for their soon rescue and return to their families. Gideon's battle with Amalek is described in Judges chapter 6 verse 33. The Midianites and Amalekites gathered together in the valley of Jezreel to come against Gideon and his people. Gideon is a little insecure so he puts the Lord through a fleece test twice. See Judges chapter 6 verses 36 to 40. The Lord passes both of these fleece tests and finally Gideon is ready to go to battle against the Amalekites and the Midianites. But the Lord says this to him in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. The Lord wants all the credit and all the glory when the battle is won. So God whittles down Gideon's army from thousands to just 300 men. And a tremendous victory happens as Gideon's army of 300 takes the enemy by surprise, as it is written in Judges 7, verses 20 to 22. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp and the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel-Mahola by Tabith. Jew Hatred From Esau to Amalek to Haman We can trace a toxic lineage of hatred towards Jacob and the Jews that is passed down through the generations. Esau hated Jacob. Esau's grandson is Amalek. And from Esther chapter 3, verse 1, we see that Haman is King Agag's descendant. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him, and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Remember, Saul allowed King Agag to live, though he was told to kill all the Amalekites. Because Saul spared King Agag's life, a few generations later, from the loins of King Agag, the Jewish people are now faced with the genocidal maniac, Haman. This Jew hatred is hardwired into Haman's genes, as it is written in Esther chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai was not bowing down or paying him honor, Haman was filled with rage, but it was repugnant in his eyes to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him the identity of Mordecai's people. So Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In summary, what are the characteristics of spiritual Amalek? Though it would be virtually impossible to discern who the literal descendants of Amalek are today, we can discern the spirit of Amalek based on behavior. What are the characteristics of Amalek? There is a deep-seated and baseless hatred of Jews, rooted in Esau's hatred of Jacob. Genesis 27.41 They attack the stragglers, the weak, and the vulnerable. Deuteronomy twenty five, seventeen to nineteen. They take captives David at Ziglag, 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 and 2. Amalek seeks the total genocide of the Jewish people. See Haman from Esther chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. When we look at the behavior of Hamas and those who support them, I believe we can see that the spirit behind their behavior is the spirit of Esau. Amalek and Haman, and it is truly demonic. What is God's command concerning Amalek? Let's look at it from Exodus chapter 17, verses 14 to 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name the lord is my banner for he said because the lord has sworn the lord will have war with amalek from generation to generation the end of days conflict is a spiritual warfare conflict jacob's spiritual descendants are those who love the god of israel love his word love the torah and love israel This can include both Jews and Christians. Esau and Amalek's spiritual descendants are those who hate the God of Israel, they despise his word, the Torah, and they hate the nation of Israel and the Jewish people of Israel. As thousands of radical Islamists and thousands of woke liberal leftists Paint swastikas on buildings where Jews live, burn Israeli flags, and chant, gas the Jews, at their demonstrations. This is the expression of an ancient and baseless hatred that all began with Esau's hatred of Jacob. Pro-Hamas demonstrators like to chant, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Translation, Israel will no longer exist as a nation and all the Jews will be cast into the sea. The demonstrations that we see in the natural are fueled by a demonic spirit rooted in the spirit of Esau, Amalek, and Haman. And so, we must fight in the spirit realm through prayer. Where do we begin? I believe we must begin with repentance, or teshuva. What must Israel do? and we who stand with her? We must go inward. We must humble ourselves and repent. Rabbi Jeremy Gimpel speaks with transparency and humility about going inward in this video clip about the sifting process.
1: But what did Gideon do? What did he do before he went out to war? He first cleaned up the idolatry within himself. He first cleaned up his own camp. He looked inside, and that's really what Israel needs to do now. Israel needs to look inside and clean up our own idols before we think we can really go out to war. Now, I want to tell you guys a story. There was a family here, members of our fellowship from Ohio, and they came to visit us on the farm, and he said, I want you to know that the other day I went up to the Temple Mount, and I was walking around Jerusalem, and the Temple Mount was so powerful for me, and I want you to know that as I walked around Jerusalem, I didn't see a city of righteousness. And you're called to be God's people. And Jerusalem is called to be a city of righteousness. And I just saw a lot of Los Angeles in Jerusalem. and I saw a lot of New York in Jerusalem. You know, you're God's chosen people, chosen to build God's kingdom. And Jerusalem is his capital. And right now, Jerusalem is not what it should be. And... I really took that to heart. And I think that Israel now has a lot of tshuva that we need to do because obviously everything that's happening to us is happening for us. And so a lot of things are happening. Thousands of Jews are leaving Israel now. All those people that were protesting against the judicial reform and they were sort of secular, nihilist, not really Jewish in their identity, and they wanted Israel to be some sort of Hebrew speaking Canada, they're all leaving the country because. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the Torah, why would you be here putting your life at risk with these genocidal Hamas terrorists and sending your children into the army? And at the same time, over 200,000 Israelis have flown into the war zone to try to enlist in the army that have tried to make Aliyah, that are trying to volunteer here. And so imagine what a sifting process is happening. Those that are leaving and those that are coming. And so an internal process is happening here within the people of Israel. It's like a sifting process. I think it is the prophet Malachi that says that we're going to be refined like gold, silver. The way you refine gold and silver is you put it in the fire. And then the impurities fall away. And then finally, pure gold comes out. And so Israel right now, if we really see, um, try to see the world with you know, Messiah eyes that we're being put in the fire now and a refinement is happening, but we need to refine ourselves in this process. Like we will not be able to go out to war 300 people against a nation or David against Goliath until we clean out the idols inside us.
0: You could eradicate every single Hamas operative and it would not solve the problem. That's fighting in the natural, but there is also a spiritual battle that must be fought and won through prayers of repentance, or teshuvah. Permission slips through the door of sin have been granted to the enemy, allowing the spirit of Amalek to come in and ravage and destroy. Those permission slips need to be cancelled through prayers of repentance. Here are a few permission slips that I see we can repent of to spiritually close the door to evict and eject the spirit of Esau, Amalek, and Haman out of the land of Israel. We must repent and turn away from pride and turn in humble dependence to the God of Israel. We must repent and turn away from abortion We have blood on our hands. We must repent of any anger, unforgiveness, or bitterness, the Hamas within us, and walk in true forgiveness. We must repent and turn away from sins of sexual immorality. We must repent of the sin of rebellion. It is as witchcraft. We must repent of inner idols of the heart anything that we trust in or depend on other than the God of Israel. Once the inner cleansing of the soul happens through personal and national repentance, then Israel can win this battle against Hamas. Israel cannot afford to have idols of the heart. Israel must not lean on her own strength or depend on her technology, weapons, the IDF, or the U.S. military. Israel must trust in Hashem and Hashem alone for their deliverance and victory. That is when Israel will prevail. That is when the spirit of Amalek will finally be blotted out from the earth. May it be so, soon and quickly.